Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy. With discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational thought. With words from... Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. And welcome to Radical Philosophy. It's our subscriber drive. And if you'd like to show us your love to 3CR, you can become a subscriber. Now, it's $70 if you're waged, 35 if you're concession, or you could go in for $130 for a solidarity. Now, it's easy to be a subscriber. All you need to do is uh, contact us. You can contact us by phone on 94198377 or contact us by email or you can actually come into 3CR and sign up. And when you do, if you mention uh, Radical Philosophy, that that's the program that you're supporting. So today we have an interview with Associate Professor Janice Richardson, and she's going to be speaking about feminism and privacy. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What are some of the ways that women have been marginalised within the field of philosophy? Well, historically, I mean, obviously philosophy goes back to the ancient Greeks and you, you do get, all the way through, you get few women philosophers. That has an impact because, well, let's think about it. If you're saying something that is true for everybody then that's absolutely fine. But often what happens is that conceptual frameworks, and particularly I'm interested in politics, and you can see it there, but it covers other areas, not just political philosophy. When you have a conceptual framework that actually excludes women, there are a few different options. It may be that you can just add women in and that's fine and it doesn't disrupt it. But very often in political theory, what's going on between all of these male pronouns? They're not thinking of women. But when you try to add women in and just stir, it actually shows weak points within the framework itself. And I think what's important is that what feminist philosophy has done is not simply point out whether the, there are these weaknesses in a conceptual framework. And I think that's important work to do. But also I think there's a, been a constructive and creative part in that it's possible when you look at the weaknesses of this framework to actually rework it in a way that is actually useful, that actually is productive. Uh, 
you know, in terms of the creation of concepts that is productive for, for, you know, women and, you know, potentially men. So how can feminist philosophers improve philosophy? Oh, no, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it follows on from what I was talking about, really, that it's showing how not all, but some conceptual frameworks are actually weak when it comes to the position of women. In politics, for example, they may have thought that women were included in this sort of fictional story of the social contract in which, you know, everyone agrees, you know, in in the fiction to come out of the state of nature and have and obey laws. But then if... They're supposed to be doing so, and I'm using Carl Paintland's work here as an example. If they're supposed to be doing so, doing that, then it makes no sense for free and equal women to be part of a social contract in which the doctrine of coverture, in which they were subordinate to men, is actually you know in place. So it's 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 looking at it. It enables you to look at these frameworks conceptual frameworks and ideas from an angle they haven't been seen before and actually show how they if they're not weak that's great but show often where they are and how you can rework it and i was using christine's example there a bit earlier on that Sometimes you can just use them, but use them in entirely different ways, I suppose, as well. There isn't one methodology. There's a whole load, just as there's a great deal within the feminist movement of different, you know, different ideas. It's very rich. So I've I've actually narrowed it by just giving those examples. Could you discuss the concept of self? Now, I know you went into this on your first interview, but maybe you could go into a little bit a little bit more depth. I know how you were speaking about basically when a new thought or have a new action within your life, you actually change who you are. Because when, when I've sort of looked at, at myself, I've never been able to find any permanent sense of self within myself or within anybody else, really. Yes. I like that. Yes, there's Hume's point, you know, I kind of look into myself and I think, well, you know, firstly, well, he didn't say firstly, you just can't introspect, as, as Descartes thought, but that you can't see anything that would be a self, you know, there's not some glowy thing in the dark as you shut your eyes. Well, I hope not. But I, I do think that... For the reasons I said, I really enjoyed, I think Christine Buttersby's work is important in this, when she's thinking about uh, relationality there, that, and maybe I see some of my own work doing that, but doing it rather differently, in that I'm not reworking Kant, I'm looking for resources elsewhere in philosophy, particularly through Spinoza's ethics. Now, Spinoza, as I said, he's no friend of women, you know, by the end. Just before he dies, he says, you know, women shouldn't be citizens and then dies. And I think this is something to mention to people. (laughs) Yes, not being too unkind, but mm, there's a lesson to be learnt there. With With the ethics, though, this idea that what we can... I think it's 
it's good because even though it's such a complex framework, uh, starting with the whole of everything that exists and how we're part, and he calls the whole of existence, you know, everything that exists ever as God, but also he calls it nature. And as they quickly found out, and this is why he didn't actually um, publish whilst he was alive, once you say that God is the whole of nature, the whole of everything that exists, God drops out. It's not seen as some some male bearded character outside of existence that tells us what to do and lays down laws from above. It's just the whole of, you know, all you have is the whole of existence and we're part of the whole of existence. But it, it's interesting because it then doesn't start, because he's writing a time, he's, you know, he's a contemporary of Locke, you've got Hobbes there, both of them, importantly sort of for their, their political theories, start with the individual, whereas Spinoza starting with the whole of existence <laughs> Uh, all of what exists and then talks about singular things so that we're all parts there's parts of parts within us which you know bacteria in the gut or whatever let's not get too disgusting but we also whilst we can be seen as sort of individuals we're also part of greater wholes now you have to be careful because it sounds like he's going communitarian it sounds like he's going to say we're going to subsume the individual into the society uh, the thing that uh, you know is problematic especially for women you know communities are built on women's double day but i, I think there's a, another better reading of it that he's thinking about what Balabar political theorist calls the trans individual so that you can think of us as in terms of parts of parts of parts and that's why the issue of communication is is one that's interesting in terms of how we can build up our, our powers of acting so for each singular thing the easiest way for us given our liberal tradition is to think of uh, us as individuals but singular things are broader than that it's whatever is having an effect on the world at any given point so if we're if we're pulling together on a rope our bodies are linking so that we're having we're acting as a singular thing and similarly if we're thinking together doing you know feminist philosophy and listening to the radio with with well Perhaps a reading group might be a better example. But if we're thinking together, we're producing something more than we're acting as a singular thing. It doesn't mean you subsume your rights to the collective in some terrible way, but it's a better way of thinking than a sort of atomistic individualism in which you are seen as the only explanation for any of your actions, which becomes really problematic. Uh, we've got a legal example of that where for example uh, for Smith and Baker you get the view that workers in a workplace couldn't claim in tort for their injuries when the workplace was unsafe but they, because they chose from their own free will in order to be in the workplace well, it's clear they didn't they didn't have any choice it was that of starving and Spinoza says that there's a problem with free will 
and that image of the individual that you get as the individual as the pure explanation of of what they're they're doing because it stops you from actually going on to getting adequate knowledge of why encounters have occurred so I do something and I just rather lazily say oh I've just done it out of free will (laughs) when in fact that's stopping me from actually thinking why this interaction has affected me in this particular way why there's something about how it's good or bad for my body or good or bad for my mind in ways that either increase my powers of acting and are linked with joy or decrease my powers of acting and that's linked with sadness suppose being australia we're sort of built on convicts being brought over here and a lot of people would argue that uh, they had free will either (laughs) they they could choose to steal bread and stop themselves from starving and, and keep themselves alive or they had the the free will to to actually not steal that bread but as you said it's not much of a choice is it no, exactly. That's a really good example. And it's a good example as well, because Spinoza's contemporary Locke, of course, John Locke is actually in England in some ways in it with his arguments um, in Chapter 5 of the two treaties, is uh, making arguments for private property and the enclosure acts and... Uh, yeah, so we've got a situation at the moment too. I know a couple of other programs here on 3CR uh, where there's a lot of homeless people that have been living at Flinders Street Station and they've been moved on. And the thing is, uh, it's not their fault they're homeless. It's out, They didn't choose to be homeless. And they're actually living together because there's safety in numbers. You could imagine what it'd be like, especially being a woman alone on the streets if you've got nowhere else to live. And now they're actually making that a criminal offence. So in a sense, they don't have a choice. They're, you know, they're not doing this of their own free will. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. I mean, another sort of very good example, really. And it's a broader issue, of course, when we attribute something like this to to free will, what we tend to do as well. I mean, this is an example, I suppose, of the point we do, it makes us fail to look at the actual reasons. And there we have to look at uh, the way in which, you know, housing is treated, you know, and the, the whole way that the, the system works, yeah. This is, I'm appealing to the legal side <laughs> of you. <laughs> Could you explain about legal personhood? Ah, oh, yes. My first book was entitled Salespersons, Individuals. And yes, I followed that through. Okay, L- legal personhood, it basically is what gives you the right to sue in the courts. So historically, of course, because of the doctrine of coverture, women didn't have, married women didn't have the right to sue in the courts. They weren't classed as legal persons. And they weren't classed as legal persons at the same time as companies were then treated as, as legal persons, as having the right to sue or be sued in the courts. I'd just say something about the doctrine of coverture if people aren't uh, clear on that. And then I must talk about the person's cases. The doctrine of coverture, and it, it appeals to this idea of the husband covering the wife, was described by the Juris Blackstone as uh, in terms of the husband and wife being one 
and that one being the husband. So he was kind of, he was, the woman was legally dead after marriage and he was her representative and it meant that she couldn't own property. So, you know, you get lots of trusts where people are trying, the rich are trying to safeguard um, the woman's property. You, you get the Married Women's Property Acts at the end of the 19th century in the UK about sort of trying to deal with this. But I just think it's amazing because people think about personhood and, of course, that idea of legal personhood was around... It means that we now have to refer in contracts to natural persons to, to say that they're not companies. What you get in the persons' cases is 60 years going up to 1930 and the case of Edwards against the Attorney General of Canada. 60 years in which women, I think really cleverly, although didn't do them a lot of good, go to court arguing that they should be classed as persons. Now, why did they want that? Well, because statutes that allowed people to vote and allowed access to certain careers and professions referred to persons. And so rather cleverly, what women did, this is sort of in the common law, so it's across uh, common law countries, would actually go to the courts and claim that they were persons. And it's great for for discussing how case law actually isn't looking at something ideal or, or something in a test tube that's, that's just an analysis of what a person is. Because after women won the suffrage... You just get a, a turnaround and say, oh, well, yes, of course, women are persons. We're going to have it now. After 60 years of saying, no, they're not. And what I find hilarious, there's an interesting book on this, I'll have to think, it's Sexes and the Law, that looks at this, that people celebrated after women had managed to achieve personhood. So instead of saying the law was at fault, they'd all say, hey, well done, women, you've actually made it, you know. Well, the reason they made it was, you know, part of the, the sort of suffrage movement. And, yeah, and exactly. Those. They shouldn't, yeah. have, shouldn't have had to, to make it. Yeah, exactly. even, even, the idea it was something to do with women changing as opposed to, you know, getting rid of really oppressive laws. Yeah, well, even the other day I was showing a friend of mine my monogram and she commented she's um, she's married and she has taken her partner's last name and she said, oh, my monogram would be the opposite to yours, you know, it'd be M-B-B. And I said, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> because you're a married woman, I said, it's fine, you've got your, your first name M and you've got your last name, B, and I said, but the, the last letter on your monogram is your husband's letter uh, of his first name. And she looked absolutely <laughs> horrified. And, I mean, you, you watch old movies and you do see women who introduce themselves. They always remind me on the Brady Bunch when Carol introduced herself as Mrs. Mike Brady. Uh. Yes. There, there was just something else about personhood, if I can sneak in before you ask me another question. But yes, it's so, it, that is very weird. There's a sort of linkage 
as well with the term person because that um, a legal per- legal personhood was about having the ability to sue in the courts but personhood has a moral meaning as well so unlike the idea of selfhood or individuality which involves a sort of how you think about how you individuate or become a single thing selfhood which i've talked about which is if you like more ontological about what exists and how we think of the self personhood denotes or uh, really certainly in kant a sort of moral meaning so kant for kant and this is something Battersby writes about, I think, that he describes animals, animality, humanity, and personhood. So women get to have animality and humanity because we can calculate our own interests. But personhood, for Kant, has a moral meaning. It's the ability to use reason, and it's a particular view of reason that's, that's Kantian. Uh, that I won't go into, but we're able to use reason in order to obey the categorical imperative, and to which means basically to behave morally for Kant. So you can see how it gets linked in that you've got that history where where personhood's denoting this sort of rationality in the Enlightenment tradition, and this moral meaning for Kant and how legal personhood is then set up as, as sort of, as that particular set of rights. What is the connection between feminism and privacy? Maybe you could start off with a definition of privacy. Oh no! (laughs) Almost every book and article about privacy starts by saying it's very difficult to give a definition of privacy. And I think the reason for that is because our conception of privacy is changing because of changes of technology opening up different ways in which people feel encroached upon that feels like, you know, an encroachment upon, you know, that feels like when we look for terms, because obviously there's not some essential definition, ideal form of what we mean by privacy, it emerges in cultures as a result of, you know, what people are doing with to each other that that actually sort of changes. But I think it's still a really useful term to have. And to come back to your question, uh, (laughs) having refused to define privacy, I will say something about it. I should say, oh, you'll have to all go and buy the book on law and the philosophy of privacy, <laughs> where I discuss lots of definitions and then come out with uh, not my own, but different ways in which I think experiences that we can call privacy emerge and are particularly problematic for people at the, the bottom, you know, that that the the boss historically we'll have the secretary who will keep everybody away from him that there's an encroachment in workers time that becomes you know Melbourne was the first place to have the uh, eight-hour day of course and you know it's now being extended as people are sort of supposedly available the entire time so uh, there's those issues historically just to come back to what we're talking about with women and I think this is still the case, so we still have that background. You've got the public-private divide. Now, when people talk about privacy in papers, they're, they're quite right to, of course, talk about the problems that emerge with computer-mediated communication. 
and the exposures that you can have from that. But and I don't think it's an entirely different thing to talk about the public-private divide because we still have that sense that something in privacy is around intimacy and the home even though we've got sort of people can be you know communicate with billions millions with the within the home so let's just for a moment talk about the public private divide and of course the philosopher, australian philosopher carl pateman said that in some ways public private divide was what feminism at a certain point certainly was about and that's the position the idea that women's places in the home that women are associated with the private sphere of the domestic home and that that is defined against outside and the political and that was i think firstly it's got practical points but also it's got theoretical points around the way that political philosophy and at, at a certain point stops being about women's position. I just remember, of course, somebody set up once years ago uh, that was about civil society and state. And I said, what happened to the family in that discussion? Because you're closing down a discussion of the way in which women have been, been positioned that has affected them. And you close that discussion down. You know, even Hegel got better than that, talking about family, civil society and state. So... The public-private divide's been a really central issue for women. And just to reiterate that point, if you define privacy as being natural, which uh, and linked the private sphere being the domestic sphere and the area of things that are natural, it gets defined against the outside that's defined as political. And that's a problem for the women's movement, which is now, was, which sort of second wave feminists sort of pointed out. And I think it changed uh, political theory as a discipline because there was a recognition then that um, politics wasn't, and power wasn't just about, you know, what the sovereign did top down from the state, parliament, whatever. It's not simply about that or what happens in the workplace, but it's also about the way in which the home is positioned and that idea of women's place being in the home is a political position, but it was it, it's really sneaky the way it's kind of positioned as something natural and outside of politics that uh, that I think hopefully as an argument has been has has gone away in a sense has been demolished by a second wave feminism. What I do in terms of, I suppose, my feminist work on privacy is look at different theories of privacy. And particularly, I think, um, Floridi's work on philosophy of information is, is very interesting. So I, I look at that and look also and actually think about. Spinoza, and I suppose this is what I'm bringing to it, um, applying Spinoza's framework in the way that I talked about, to think about the fact that communication central in his work, and the way I described previously, I won't 
go through that again. Hey, well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for inviting me and for your interest in feminist philosophy. It's great. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's, it's what the program's all about. And I've been speaking to Associate Professor Janice Richardson about feminism and privacy. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy. With discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational thought. With words from... Midgley. Caputi. Adams. Stewart. Wolf, And Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. <laughs> <laughs>